What would Jim Nance say? Hello, friends. Uh, it's been a minute. Been wanting to get this segment out for a while. I've done a number of uh, podcasts with Dan McLaughlin over on the Scoops website, scoopswithdannymack.com. We do Martin and Mac. Great talk with Martin and Mac. We've been doing more of those. A lot of fun if you haven't checked those out. I've had a couple of people say I don't get those on my feed because it doesn't come out under the Kilcoin conversation, but you can always find them at scoopswithdannymack.com. Riffing on a number of different topics. But was sick on and off for about a week, and I kept saying, when I get my voice back, when I get my voice back, I'll cut the uh, intro, the outro for this segment, because I interviewed Mike Martz, it's probably a few weeks ago now, right around Halloween, and I first got word in the, maybe late spring, that he was moving back to St. Louis, and it didn't sound right to me. I'd been to his house in San Diego in the last five years, beautiful spot, overlooking the ocean, so when I heard this, I thought it was a mistake. And I texted him, he said, it's true, bought a house, moving to St. Louis this summer. And then I started thinking, well, it's got to be XFL. He must be on the Anthony Becht staff. The new Battle Hawks version coming out is coached by Anthony Becht, who worked with Mike Martz in that AAF or American American Alliance football, whatever that league was, a couple of years ago. They coached together. He said, nope, nothing to do with football. I'm retired. And he just ended up moving back here. He's got family here. So it's about a 30-plus minute interview. We talk about the rise of the Rams, him taking over, working with Coach Vermeil, the Bolger-Warner awkwardness when Bolger emerged, when Warner was injured, uh, walking back through time with John Shaw, who is still friends with Mike Martz, even though it was Shaw who ultimately let him go. But when you look back at the resume, especially for a Rams team that did so much losing while they were in St. Louis, Mike Martz was the head coach for six seasons. They made the playoffs four times. Franchise record in 2001, that team went 14-2. Now, we know they lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, but that was a historic run for the franchise. And a lot of folks forget, and this is part of the connection to St. Louis that Mike Martz has, He was an assistant coach for Rich Brooks in 95-96. So he was here when the Rams first came to St. Louis, left for two seasons, and then was hired by Dick Vermeil. And at the time, he was a coach with the Washington Redskins and wasn't planning on leaving. And he tells the story how Vermeil's trying to recruit him. Now keep in mind, Vermeil was around the league, maybe considered a lame duck. He'd had two seasons, two losing years. It's going into 99. It's a make-or-break year for Vermeil, and he's got to convince Mike Martz to come and be his offensive coordinator. And it it took a little selling, but those two hit it off. Martz becomes the OC. Greatest show on turf happens in 99. They win the Super Bowl. Vermeil leaves suddenly, and then Martz is elevated to head coach. His only head coaching job was in St. Louis. And I think he's still 21 games over. I think it's 53-32 and 32 is his final ledger as a head coach. Became an OC with the Lions, the Bears, the Niners. Always a lightning rod because you never knew what Mike was going to say. But I will tell you, this visit seems very much at peace with his football career. Having kids in town, running into folks around St. Louis. I mean, he's still got the shock of white hair. 
he still looks very much like the Mike March you remember on those sidelines uh, when the Rams were having a little bit of fun. So it is our Kill Quentin Conversation with the former Rams head coach, Mike Martz. We're coming to you from the Pasta House Studios. Don't forget on Sundays, kids eat free. A lot of great carryout meals you can get at all the food prepared. We know during the week, kids have got sports. Mom and dad are on the run. Let Pasta House do the cooking for you. The freshest ingredients in town. So many awesome items. Just get the carryout. Feed the whole family. A lot of package deals. ThePastaHouse.com. Go to the website. Check out these special meal packages and order it today or go in person. They've got the games on, football all weekend long, blues games. Whole family can hang out and enjoy a great meal. The Pasta House Studios is where the Kilcoin Conversation is coming to you from. Sponsored by Triad Bank, Appliance Discounters, Marie de Villa Senior Living, and B&G Tuck Pointing. You know about B&G. They're the best. In the bricks, waterproofing, foundation repair, all under one roof. 363-0525, the number to call to get a free estimate, 314-363-0525. That's from my guy, Rich Galati at B&G Tuck Pointing. Triad Bank on the web, triadbanking.com. Based in St. Louis since 2005, so home loan, car loan, business loan, do business with the folks that are based right here in St. Louis. Marie de Villa Senior Living Christmas Tree is up. Lighting will be happening, I think, next week, right around Thanksgiving. Such a festive spot. Beautiful campus in West County, corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. It's Marie de Villa Senior Living. And appliance discounters, maybe for the holidays, be kind of fun. Get a new refrigerator, washer, dryer. If you're going to get an appliance, you know where to get it. Lowest prices in town. Biggest names the best brands at the lowest prices, including all those General Electric rebates. You can save a ton of money. Go to their website, theappliancediscounters.com. And now here he is, the one, the only, Mike Martz. I think people hear Mike Martz is back, and they're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> how, how did Mike Martz end up back in St. Louis? Well, for a couple of reasons. Um, we've always liked living here, and we've thought about coming back here eventually. Uh, we'd bought a home in San Diego years ago and, and didn't really intend to retire there, but we just did. And we kind of wanted to come back here. But the other part of that is we've got two kids here and grandkids here, and it's hard to get back to see them, you know, when you're in San Diego. So uh, we love living here. We kind of knew where we'd want to live if we moved back here. And, and this house came up. Uh, we've been looking for about a year and a half. And when this came up, it was right where I wanted to be. And we came back and looked at it and bought it. And you know, I'm so glad. It's just, uh, and of course, Julie's so happy. <laughs> not that I'm not. Grandma. <laughs> Grandma. In fact, she's with the grandkids right now, babysitting. So it's, uh, you know, it's perfect for us. We love living here. We love the community. And, and you know, the people of St. Louis are so different. I know it's, it's cliche to say that, but until you move away from St. Louis and experience other parts of the country, you don't know how generally nice People, it's like Canada. How nice people are in St. Louis. It, it really, it's different than any place we've ever been, and, and we like that. We just enjoy it here. You've been back a few months. Do you get people coming up to you saying, "You look like Mike Martz"? Is there any like, have you yeah. gotten some people saying, "Holy shit, that's Mike Martz"? Like, I had a real moving incident my first week back here. It really brought me to tears. Really, I went in to get a, a paint store down in Manchester, and is really a big guy. And he walked in there, and he was—he looked like a, a, an offensive tackle. I mean, he was all bricked up and everything. And he's—I told him when I needed some paint, and he kind of looked at me. And he said, "Okay." He kind of looked at me, went back, and he started. I could hear the thing shaking the paint. He came back, and he said, "You know, 
we used to have a, a coach here, last name of March. You, you, I said, yeah, that's me. Of course, I had sunglasses on and <laughs> I looked like a bum. I mean, you know, anyway, so. And he looked at me and he just, yeah. And he said, I have to tell you, those were the, the greatest moments of my life. And what? He said, yeah. He said, I was a boy then. I get choked up thinking about it, you know. And that, during that time, I just, I loved it. I loved watching the Rams on TV and, you know, it was so exciting and so much fun for us. And, you know, I hear somebody say that. I never looked at that perspective or even thought about it really, but it really shook me up. I had to go sit in the car for a few minutes because it really got to me. And you coached a number of places, but you always said special place, special time. Like that, 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 and I know the Rams had a lot of losing here and there, but for that window when you were coaching, that was a really good team. And a lot of big games, a lot of big moments. Yeah. I mean, when you think back on your career, where does that St. Louis chunk fall? Oh, it's at the top. There's no question. You know, I had some good stops. I have. I've been very fortunate in my, my life as a football coach and, and as a family. Of course, San Diego is beautiful. My first few years at the junior college here in San Diego, we had, it was great. It was awesome. But I think the time spent here, uh, and it's all about the people, you know, and when you say special place and time, you're really kind of referring to, you know, the people that won't be together again. You know what I mean? And and I knew that, and I knew in the league that guys will go on and move on, and coaches do, and you just kind of want to hold that magic for as long as you can, and you just want to, you got to work through it because you're working hours every day, you know, but you do, by the same token, you got to pinch yourself because you'll never see a team with the personalities and the unselfishness, you know, if you will, that that care more about each other than themselves. That's just, it, it, today, you know, it doesn't happen. Because you had superstars. I mean, Marshall was already a superstar. Isaac and Tori were becoming. Kurt became one. And a lot of times those equal, not divas, but personality. You're right, you can't always get that collective group when you got so many star players. You know, and they, but they didn't have that star mentality. I used to always say that Isaac Bruce, if the president came to visit the facility, he'd go out around and go in and sit down and talk to the guys that brought him out there. <laughs> you know, he, he could care less about any of that stuff. And they're very selfless, and, and uh, I think they just, uh, they loved each other. I, I really believe that, you know. And uh, There's always some guys that, you know, uh, kind of want to rebel a little bit in that respect, but that didn't happen there. It just didn't happen. And there's stress with any coaching job, but was that the most fun you had? I mean, when that thing was rolling, you got, I mean, you guys were the talk of the league. I always thought then, and I think you and I talked about it, if that team was in L.A., every actor and actress would have been on the sideline because you guys were well, it. I think that's a good thing that it wasn't in L.A., I really do, because I think that helped keep everybody grounded too, you know what I mean? Um, and it kept, it kept us kind of in a fishbowl uh, within, you know, and, and, and I think that's... Uh, I think the people in St. Louis probably appreciate it way more than the fans would in L.A. There's so much to do out there, and, and it's just like the Rams won the Super Bowl, you know, last year, right? But it's already kind of a, you know, you know what I mean? And right. but here, when they've struggled with attendance, it's a huge area, yeah. but there's so much going on. Yeah, and it's, but here it's just, you know, there's a following that has stayed and. And, uh, you know, I see people today, even here out here, I run into people and they talk about it all the time. And, 
you know, that's, that's why you coach. You know, you'd like to see uh, your guys that you coach maybe achieve something that they didn't know they could achieve. That's why you do it. And so when that happens, uh, I think, I don't think there's any other town in America that would have appreciated that team as well as St. Louis did. So when you see guys like Marshall and Orlando and Kurt, Isaac going into the hall, yeah, I mean, they don't get there without some splashy numbers. Right. And your run with them was a big part of those. I mean, Marshall would always say to me, Coach Martz got me in the hall. Coach Martz got me in the <laughs> hall. And I know he was talented when he got here, but yeah. he, his star power even went to a different level. What is it when you're in, and you were in Canton for many of those, what does that feel like? Well, here, here's the deal. When you start talking about football with these guys and what you want to do in a particular play and what you, all right, here, I want you to use this footwork. And, you know, Kurt, all right, on this coverage, it goes here. On this coverage, it's going to have to go over there. And so all those things that you're teaching them, they absorb them. And that's not always the case in the league. They trust you. So they, and, and when you have a bunch of players that trust what you're asking them to do, and there's all that buy-in 100%, but then you better be right. Yeah. <laughs> that goes with it. If you're wrong, then you lose credibility. But we were right about enough to where they trust us. And in 99, you came back. So you'd been with the Rams, right. but that was in L.A. How did they convince you? Because that team was terrible. I mean, going up to 99, everything had been bad about the franchise. Well, I was part and of that. was on the rope, too. I mean, it yeah. was, he told John Shaw famously, oh, we'll be good. And John's like, oh, my God, Dick, I hear that every year. And, like, how did they, did they have to twist your arm to come here? Um, they just were talking about a new contract with Redskins with a big bump in pay. I was offered and actually accepted the coordinator's job at the Bears with Dave McGinnis, who, because he couldn't pay his assistants, they announced his hiring. <laughs> and then when they went in there prematurely, he said, this is what I need for the assistants, and they wouldn't give him the money. He didn't take the job. So, and then there was another job. I had a couple of NF jobs that were there when the Rams called. And I, no, I just, you know, no. I think I'm good where I am. And so then Dick called because some, some guys that I knew in the organization called to kind of feel you out. And I said, yeah, probably not, you know. And then Dick called and I talked to Dick. He said, well, come on down and interview in Mobile. And I want to talk to you down there. I said, well, all right, you know, I'll be there anyway. Why not, right? So. <laughs> the Senior Bowl. The, yeah, the Senior Bowl. Yeah. So I, I, I'll never, I can see this. There's a big grand stairway that goes up. And then at the top, there's this meeting room, double doors. And I'm supposed to meet, I think, at 9 o'clock. And he had a meeting with John Matsko at 8 o'clock. And it's an hour meeting. Well, that's, that's a pretty good time, I guess. But, you know, if you're going to meet him again, too, that's pretty good. So they come walking down just a few minutes before 9. And I say hi to both of them. And, and Dick says, come on up. So we started down and started talking. Um, we left at 5 o'clock because he had another meeting. He had something to do. <laughs> Hold on, did you see he left at 5 o'clock? Never came out of the room, never had a bite to eat, nothing. Uh, there was a bathroom in there, fortunately, but just had uh, you know, a glass of water, some coffee, and uh, it's like it was 20 minutes. I, it's weird because we just connected on a visceral level about football and the details and how to do things. There were some things that, that we convinced Dick he needed to change, but that, that, that can happen. But who he was and how passionate you know he was about the game kind of sold me, you know. And um, the the practices were just too much. I knew that 
Al Saunders, who knows Dick better than I was, he, he, and he said, come with me. We need to go in and talk with this after I got hired. We need to talk to him about these practices and paring it down and giving that guy some time off. So we went in, and you know what Dick said? It was great. This is why he's Dick. He says, well, obviously it hasn't been working. So yeah, I think we probably should change some things. And that had to be extremely hard for him because that's the way he's coached his whole life. Now he's going to change completely. And then we get into camp, and we're saying, you know, we're going good. We're going to be real good, Dick. Let's give him a day off. He said, okay, I think it's a good idea. Well, I, I mean, I was floored, you know. And so he had to change his approach in a lot of respects, which I can't imagine how hard that was. Because look, look at the success he's had doing it that way, right? And here these two numb knuckles are telling him, maybe we ought to change this, right? So... But the big deal is he, Again, to I, your point, it better work, right? <laughs> but he knew, he could see too in practice at this point how good we, just, you know, we were in, in the OTAs and stuff. So when we went to camp, we'd convinced him to pare it down pretty good, and he did that. And I think he was happy that he did, and we kept our guys fresh and fast. And, and the thing that we both agreed so much on is if we practice hard enough and fast enough, we'll never have to condition these guys. You don't have to condition a football player. Like today, they had to condition them because the practices are short and they don't, they don't work. You know, it's funny, you said OTAs. I only recently heard the story where Marshall was traded here and he told his agent, Rocky, I'm not going. And Rocky said, Come on, dude, we're going to make it, we're going to look stupid. Like, because he had asked Rocky, he said, Get me to a warm weather city with open air and grass and a winning organization. And Rocky goes, Dude, None of it. dude <laughs> they're going to the Rams. He's like, Dome, turf, losing, not warm. Yeah. And Rocky said, just go to the OTAs. And Marshall backed it up and he said, I went to the OTA. He goes, and I looked around and said, there's Kevin Carter and Grant Wisterman, and Pace and all these guys. He said, they should be better. Trent Green. Yeah. I think Trent Green in OTAs in the minicamp was just ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then he followed that up in, in the preseason. And, and I think we have a, a, a quarterback with that kind of savvy and that ability and the leadership and, the, and just the confidence that Trent's always had. Just who he is as a man. He's just a natural born leader, you know, and that gets everybody excited. And then it would have been hard not to think, oh, shit, here we go again. Like, how did yeah. the building handle that? Because now you hadn't been there the last couple of years, but well, they'd been through so much losing. We, I think everybody felt cursed. We had already gone through this in June. We'd worked this out. And our last meeting before we broke is it, contrary to the movie, I, I think. But we sat in that meeting room. We had all the coaches and all the personnel. And there was a big, big push to bring Hostetler here and make him the backup and get rid of Kurt or make him the third guy. And I just coached Hostetler, you know, and I just went through the, the OTAs with Kurt and Kurt was trying to do everything the right way, the way you asked him to do it. And he had a sense about him, he could see things erect quickly, like nobody I'd seen before. So there's something that I just didn't know if he could hold up under the pressure. I didn't know how tough he was inside. And that's why I didn't camp. I was really brutal with him in camp. But um, that being said, at the end of that meeting, the last thing Dick said before we broke, you asked John Ramsdale about this. He said, Mike, our jobs are on the line here, so you got to be ready with this. Is Kurt good enough? I said, yeah, absolutely he's good enough. So we're a good football team. I can feel confident that he can go in and, and play, and we can win with Kurt. I didn't know how good he could be, but I knew we could. he, he would be good enough, you know, and... That part I felt good about. So when he got hurt, and Dick is getting, 
this from all. So you have to understand, there's a lot of guys in that building that wanted Dick to bring in another quarterback. Like a veteran, yeah. Yes, and so, and they had hostilities in the name that kept coming up. And I like Jeff, but he just was wrong. Kurt was right, you know. And so when he got injured, I, I, was, I came down on the elevator and I kept thinking about, you know, do we have to change anything? No, he, he does all the stuff that Green does you know, there's no, we don't have to change anything. I'm just going through my mind how we're going to make the change. And I, I never worried about it. I never worried about it. I get out of Dick's at the bottom of the elevator. Come on. So we go in a side room there and he says, do we need to bring Hostetler? I said, no, absolutely not. You know, because he got hammered coming off the field by all these guys. And he just wanted to be reassured. And Dick was always a big Kurt fan from the time I got there. He said, I don't, I'm not sure you make this, and to his credit, he said, you make the decision on this, but all this guy does against our team on defense and, and uh, practice during the week is complete the ball. <laughs> you know, it is a pretty good start. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, when that transition was made, I never really worried about it until we got to practice that first day. And for a period about 10 minutes, I was worried about it. <laughs> That's that practice in seven on seven where Kirk came out and he skipped about 11 passes into the ground in a row. And Marshall said to me, Coach, can we start this drill over? I said, sure. He said, uh, do you mind if I talk to the team here? You know, we was just a seven on seven group, you know, quarterback receivers, backs against the defensive guys, you know. Sure. So I'm standing next to Huddley, goes in, he says to Kirk, he said, look at these guys here, Kirk. He said, uh, you're our quarterback. That's not going to change. No matter how good or no matter how bad you play, you're our guy. We got your back. So the only thing you have to do is go out and play like we all know you can play. Well, after that, he was on fire. He just ripped it, you know. So Marshall was, was nothing short of awesome. All those platitudes, all that stuff that's said about Marshall is not enough. He's that good and more. So I never saw the movie. Did you see Kurt's movie? No, I, I heard it was unfair portrayal of you. Was it over? Was it a Hollywood embellishment sort of? Is well, it? the guy that played me told me it was, and because he, he asked me, is, "Did this happen?" I said, "No, that happened." Those conversations I had with Kurt didn't happen. No, that happened. But it doesn't matter. That's not the story. The story right. is it's a great love story, but I have not seen it just because I know it's not true, and it would, it would bother me. You know, it just would. That not not how they portray me, but. Just a whole thing about the football end of it is somebody wrote that and it's just not accurate. Maybe not a football person even. That I don't know who wrote it, but it just that. wasn't accurate. And Has Kurt said anything to you about it? Like, no. oh, I'm sorry, coach. Or no, like, no, no. He, but one of the, the speeches I guess in, I have in my office and originally said, who do you think you are? You think you can play for, uh, what do you say, a uh, seven billion league? Or whatever it was, I said. You I've know, seen that clip. Yeah. You know, nobody would ever say that right. to anybody. Come on, <laughs> you, know, you don't talk like that to a player. It just doesn't work. All right. Do you have a favorite moment from the time in St. Louis? Whether it was a game, or I mean, is it the Super Bowl win with Isaac catching it and you calling that play, or is it too hard to pick? That, it's hard to pick. That's all kind of surreal. I think one of my favorite moments when we bit up, went up and beat Seattle in Seattle in overtime, because we we were they had they i say the front office had let go a lot of our guys and i couldn't do anything about it and then when they let them go they told those guys that i didn't want them 
<laughs> so that was hard to take. And so, we're talking the end of the 04 season. Yeah. So we, we were missing a lot of guys and we're trying to, you know, keep winning, you know. And so to go up there and beat them after starting off the way we did up there and have it in and uh, just the feeling in the locker room afterwards was, and then we ended up beating them three times that year and they won the division. Just imagine if we hadn't beat them, their record had been whatever, you know, 14 and two instead of 11 and five or whatever it was, you know. So that was, to beat them three times up there, that overtime game and then come back in the playoffs and beat them. That is because of all the struggles that we'd had personnel wise and a lot of injuries and all the things that we'd gone through. That was really rewarding for me personally to see a bunch of guys fight through that, you know, because the odds were against us in a lot of ways. You know. Bolger to McDonald, yeah. Sean McDonald, I yeah. believe, right? In overtime. Yeah. What, looking back with Bolger emerges while Kurt's hurt. Was it ever awkward in the for you as the head coach? Because you identify guys who can play, and Bolger obviously is a really good quarterback. Yeah, Kurt had been a high-level quarterback. They talk about how they got along fine. Was it ever weird to kind yeah. of navigate Kurt, that? Kurt would never let that happen. That's just not who he is. Kurt has always put his ego aside in those. He that was never ever. That's just not who he is. He's not. Uh, that was never an issue with Trent with. Uh, Mark, uh, with any of those guys, he was always good. Um, you know, the thing with Kurt was he'd lost like seven games in a row. And the big issue with, was the thumb. You know, the doctor said, we can't, we do surgery on it. It's a 50-50 and Kurt didn't want the surgery. It's his prerogative. So um, we had a $6 million signing bonus coming to him in June 1st. And, you know, they kept saying, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And he said, well, Mark's playing good. Um, and it was unfair. It was unfair to Kurt because I, with Kurt, he could do so much. I just kept piling stuff on him, you know, because he could take what you ask him to do. We're creating new things, and he could do it. He just got into it. <laughs> He's so unusual. Right. He, nobody can do that. So we toned it way back for Mark, you know, because he's new and all that. And of course, he had great success. And um, I think that I wore Kurt down a lot uh, mentally uh, because of the volume of stuff I put on him, and then. I think the hand issue, he fumbled the ball so many times. The Cowboy game was, was a bad example of it, but you know, we get that turnover. We're gonna go in and win the game, and then the first snap he fumbles the ball from the center. And that's hard, because you can lose the players then too, so. But there's a lot of other factors too, and it was a, we don't talk to John for a long time about it, but. Um, I would never expect Kurt to understand or have any empathy for the decision, but you know, at that point, you know, you're trying to make those decisions, you know, for the team, not for Mike and Kurt. You know what I mean? And uh, at that point, at that point, Mark gave us the best chance to win. And you were a playoff team in 03, yeah. right? Does that game, I think I've talked to other players, but that game stings them a little bit because they felt like in 03, you were going back to the Super Bowl. Like we everybody were. kind of felt like we 02 were. was injury and just forget about it, write it off. But 03, yeah. You talk to Marshall, Aeneas, and these guys, they say, oh, that team was good enough to win it all. It was good enough. What had happened is we start, we come out of the box and stumble, and then, you know, we get going. We're going on like a nine-win deal. And I, I just, the, the air came out of the balloon when, when word got out that Lovey was leaving going to Chicago. We, we just, it just kind of, you know what I mean? Because we were going. I mean, we were going really good. And that, 
that announcement came out when we went to play the last game in Detroit, and we, we, we didn't play well at all. And that scared me. That really scared me. We had a bye, and um, when we played in that game, uh, they did some things to us. Uh, on, their offense did some things to us defensively that created problems. Love did a great job of adjusting to it, and then we shut them down. We could not in the red zone, Martin. We could not move the football. You know, we just, either we had a bad plan or they just were really good at it. It just was bad. But we roared from 20 to 20. So my thought was, um, all right, get it into overtime, win the toss, take the ball, go down, kick a field goal, you're done, because we'll move it. They hadn't stopped us out in the field. In the red zone, we were just really, we had four trips down there, we couldn't get any points, you know, we just, and, um, and my, I'll never forget Isaac came down because people were pretty upset with that. My Isaac came down and said, Mike, it's the right decision, don't worry. Upset about, about playing for overtime. Yeah, and uh, it was the right thing to do. I don't have any doubt about that. You know, I was really concerned who couldn't protect him. You know, they were, they get down the red zone, they were a different defense. They were coming after us and we were struggling to, to protect Mark and we weren't rushing the ball very well. So, you know, it was a hard decision to make, but it was clear in my mind that's what we needed to do. Of course, we get him in third and nine, we're going to get the ball back. They win the toss, we get him in third and nine. We're going to get the ball back somewhere around midfield or our own 40. We'll be in great shape, and I had no qualms about that. And then they throw one over the top, and then that's it. It might surprise people to know, and I had John Shaw on the podcast, and he said, oh, I talked to Mike, oh, for sure we talk. Like, and I said, John, you had to fire Mike. And he goes, oh, that was years ago. And like. It's funny, like, relationships kind of come back around, don't they? Even in, like, people might be surprised that you and John are friendly, and I saw oh, you yeah. canting together, and yeah. so it's not all... I don't know why people would be surprised at that. You don't have a relationship with somebody based on something that happens in a football game, I don't think. <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah, but, but I mean, it, you would have rather had a better ending here. Oh, yeah, but, you know, that was, that was the right thing to do. There's no question. I mean, at the end there, yeah. that it made sense. Yeah, it made sense. And at that point, were you kind of ready for something else or ready? No, 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 no. no. I, I was, I felt like we were going back to the Super Bowl. I was, you know, uh, we were good. And they were a good team, but, you know, that ball at the end. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, though, at the end of like 05. Oh, at, at 05. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I meant yeah. when John is ultimately the one who lets you go. And yet he says you guys are friendly. I think that would surprise people. Oh, there's, yeah, but the circumstances around that, I mean, that was... Yeah, I was sick and, you know, that I probably needed a year off because I was really sicker than, than I realized at the time. Then endocarditis, um, I had it probably for quite some time. It was just growing. Like undiagnosed. Probably. Undiagnosed. And I was taking probably four naps a day. And that does, I'm in the office by, you know, 5.15, 5.30, and I go home at 10 to 11. And... I mean, I don't need naps. I just, you're just wired, you go. But I couldn't do anything. I couldn't think clearly, I couldn't function. I passed out in the locker room after the Giants game, hit the floor and, and I kept saying to the doctors, there's something wrong. And they said, <laughs> they kept saying stress. This one doctor particularly, he kept saying, no, it's just stress. And I said to him, I know what stress is. I've been doing this all my life. I know what stress is, this, this isn't stress. This is not stress, um, it's something else. And he dismissed it. So I checked myself into Barnes West and told him something was wrong. I told him what was going on. 
And I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that, but my body was telling me I'm about to die. I got nothing left in the tank. There's nothing left. And I told Julie and uh, go in the emergency room and I did. And they, they couldn't find it at the time. They thought it was something else. So they gave me a bunch of antibiotics for stuff. And so it went on for another couple of weeks. And then finally, um, we had a doctor who diagnosed it properly and said, Mike, this is what you have. I want you to go see this cardiologist, do the test. And they found it. And I had a, all that stuff on my heart in there. And, and then uh, Vicki Frazier from WashU down there, she's the one that immediately put me in the hospital and gave me this brand new drug that they hadn't it'd only been out a month. And it had only been written maybe six prescriptions to that point. And it was a miracle drug for me. It knocked it out. It saved my life. And you didn't take a year off, though. You kept coaching, man. Oh, you just man. went to Detroit. So here's, so here's what happened. I thought, well, I could take a year off. And Julie was adamant about it. We'd take a year off and then come back, you know. Or be an assistant someplace and just kind of stay in it, you know. Because then I was concerned that people, would, you know, they got that hire you. The, the clubs would think, well, he's sick. You can't, you know, you can't coach. He's done, you know. And I was afraid of that, which was stupid. But I, that, that's where my mind was. Right. So, and I had turned down the Detroit job in the car on the way to San Diego maybe six times from my agent. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. No, I'm not doing it. And, and Julie's listened to all this, and then finally they worked it out, and, and um, I took it. And, you know, it was John Kitna and, and uh, those guys and, and some of the coaches there got to know. And uh, was it worth it? Just the relationship with John Kitna made it worth it. You know, he's a special guy. Mike Furry became a Mike massive success it. story. I mean, yeah, Mike came in there from... Uh, he was a, I made him a free safety. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Because we didn't have anybody back there. Yeah. I tried to get him to hire a free safety. And we did not, we were the only club in the league that didn't have a um, pro personnel department. <laughs> now think about that. We did not have a pro personnel department. Most people have three or four guys in there. We didn't have anybody. We didn't have anybody. So it was hard. We couldn't get guys that were leaving replaced. But I think that was part of the deal too, in retrospect, you know, there's a lot of this going on. And so I, you know, I asked our guys, Michael was our best special teams player. And he weighed 185 pounds and he's six feet tall. And he's the first guy down and blowing up the kickoffs and the, you know, all that stuff. So I said, let's move you to free safety. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> But so he got he's, big too. Yeah, he, well, he led the team of takeaways, and I took him to Detroit, and he has a hundred catches for yeah. over a thousand yards. You know, yeah. that speaks volumes for. So those two guys, and um, you know, there's a couple other guys there. Of course, Adam Gase, and yeah. you know, I wouldn't have ever met Adam if I didn't go there. So it worked out. It worked out. And it took ten years off my life, but it worked <laughs> no, out. It it's been seen in New Orleans that maybe the whole franchise doesn't get as splintered or whatever the words would be. Do you think that's true? Do you think losing that Super Bowl caused more organizational dysfunction or no? It was just kind of always there. Well, the people inside that were dysfunctional, that's a question for them. I don't know. Because when we lost that Super Bowl, everything just went from black and white. It's just two different 
now there's just the relationship just soured immediately you know and, and I mean towards like, you yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 Even though the team was still good, the team yeah. was still really good. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't John. No, it wasn't John at all. John was always good. He was always good to me. And he kind of managed from a distance, he too, did. right? He yeah. kind of let he you did. do your thing. He did. So, um, so it was mostly personnel fallout, right? Kind of, yeah. whether it was Jay or Charlie or whatever, just disagreements on talent more than anything. Well, it wasn't even that. It was that we were letting guys out of there that we could have resigned. Yeah. You know, middle linebacker, uh, the defensive end, you know, Wistrom, and there were a lot of guys. There was only, in 2003, from that 2001 defense that was, what, second in the league at the end of the year, there was only two guys left in that defense from that team two years later. Why? It's a massive defensive turnover. Well, yeah. and offense too. You know, rookie, Austin rookies out of there. Ozzie Keen's out of there. Uh, Tommy Newton, our left guard, he wasn't a big ticket. We could have resigned him. You know, they're all, I'm lo losing all these players, you know. And it wasn't like that in the past. So the, the message, you know, it just doesn't do any good to rehash all that. But I, I there's a lot of holes in the dike, and that's trying to, right. you know, and by 03, by 04, it was a completely different looking football team than, yeah. you know, it was in the past. And, but, you know, we were still trying to win and get in the playoffs and have a shot at it. So now that you're back and you're hearing stories like the guy at the paint store, what do you reflect on and what are you most proud of of that era? Being, running that Rams offense, running that team, being in the playoffs consistently. What, when you look back now and you hear stories from fans, what makes you proud? I don't, I don't know if pride's the right answer. I don't think pride has anything to do with it. I think just the satisfaction of, you know, here's, here's where we started and here's where we ended up. I think that satisfaction more than, than pride is, because as a football coach, to me, that's, that's it. You know, it's not how many trophies, how many you know, Super Bowl trophies you have, Lombardi trophies. It's the appreciation of maybe he took a player or some players and helped them achieve something that they weren't sure they could achieve or know they could achieve. There's no greater satisfaction for a football coach to me than that. And that said, there's no Super Bowl, Dick Vermeil said, without you. That's an unbelievable memory forever, isn't it? Being, and the parade people, your players still talk about that. Seeing, that? seeing the parade and seeing the city come to life. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. though it, was a, it shouldn't have been the day after. I was on a plane in Atlanta, but... People still talk about that, how the city came alive, just were so Shut down excited. Schools, oh yeah. my God. We were in the very last truck. By the time we got there around to the podium, I was a, one of those ice sculptures. <laughs> it was like <laughs> you 18 degrees out. I was so cold. I just wanted to get into the bus. You know, I was freezing, you know. And last thought, being around town, what did you miss? It's still friends reconnecting and old friends you haven't seen in a while and old places you used to go to. Are you kind of having fun with the reconnection? Oh, no question. We, we've always kept in touch with our neighbors you know, from where we first lived here. You know, we call them the neighbors. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bunch of them. I can't list how many there is, but uh, there's at least eight couples, at least eight, probably more like 12, that we were in touch with on a you know, constant basis, and they actually came out to our place in Idaho for a week, and uh, we used to go on golf outings just about every year with them, you know, during the summertime, and 
that's fallen away a little bit. We had a couple pass away here. And, but we still, they came over to the house here when we first moved in, so we're still well connected with them. And that's why, you know, those, that was such a special place in time for us, aside from football. Just the connection with the people in the community and in our neighborhood and, you know, the kids in school, they loved it. So it was, it was uh, pretty special. After the interview was over, I had a couple of photos. We're going to do a TV piece on Fox 2. And there's a shot of myself sitting there with Mike Martz in his kitchen area. And I sent it to Marshall Falk because we were sitting around telling Marshall stories. And Marshall just wrote, he wrote back immediately. He just says, love him. Mike Martz is extremely close with Marshall Falk. Marshall always said, I got into the Hall of Fame because of Mike Martz. What he did with me, how he used me in St. Louis, put me at another level. Now you could argue that Marshall Falk was already on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but he became a superstar in that offense in St. Louis, won an MVP in 2000. Uh, he, there's no bigger supporter of all things Mike Martz than Marshall Falk. Isaac Bruce would be a close second. They're also, and I've done a number of Isaac's events in St. Louis, and uh, Mike is usually there. He's written a few big checks, in fact, for Isaac's foundation. Those two are extremely tight. Hopefully you enjoyed the visit. We might have to circle back with Mike and just talk about the current game of football or some of the players now. He's got opinions on everything. Never shy. That's what people always remember. I mean, you'd go to a Mike Martz press conference, and there were so many classic moments. He just didn't know what he was going to say. So hope you enjoyed it. We'll get back to doing more segments. Got a number of different things in the hopper. Had a little slow down there and wasn't COVID. Tested negative, just cold flu. I think everybody's sick right now. It's just been going around. But good to start feeling right again and able to get my voice back. That was the number one thing. I didn't want to put it to tape. And in a year from now, somebody listens to Mike March and says, here's the kill quiet conversation. I just didn't feel great, but starting to get back to normal. So thanks for checking it out. All of our past episodes can be found at scoopswithdannymac.com, also on Spotify and iTunes. You just type in the Killcoin Conversation. All of our previous visits, whether it's Kevin Harlan, Bill Raftery, Mario Andretti, you can find all of them in one spot. Thanks to our great sponsors, The Pasta House, coming to you from The Pasta House Studios, freshest ingredients, such a great spot. If you haven't been in a while, it's Time to get back to your neighborhood pasta house. Everything made fresh every single day. They're not pulling anything out of the freezer. Pasta House Studios, also Triad Bank, Marie de Villa, Senior Living, Appliance Discounters, and B&G Tuck Pointing, the best in the bricks. BGTuckPointing.com for all your brick repair, foundation repair, waterproofing, all under one roof. Marie de Villa, Senior Living, stop by and see the big Christmas tree. I get out, take a picture there. They'd love it. Corner of Clayton and Wideman Road. Appliance Discounters has a great service repair team. In addition to the lowest prices on the biggest names, theappliancediscounters.com. And again, Triad Bank, longtime sponsor of all the Kill Coins. Thanks for checking it out. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>